to this episode of the Provoking Minds podcast, brought to you by KU Professional Learning. My name is Fran Bastian, and before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which I am on today. I would also like to acknowledge all those joining us from the traditional lands of other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I am today joined by Amal Nassar, Director of the Joey Club Sydney, and Caitlin Burns, working in the infant and toddler space at the Joey Club. We're delighted to bring you yet another offering in the series A Story Worth Telling, crafted and narrated by Anne Pellow. Here's Anne. Hello, I'm Anne Pellow. In March, I got to spend a morning with children and staff at the Joey Club, Here's a story from my morning there, a story of an experience that I shared with a child that captivated me and compelled my thinking. I wrote this story because I think it's a story worth telling. As you listen, consider why I might think that and whether you agree. So here's the story. How are these babies communicating their identities to us? Their teacher, Caitlin, mused. How do we honor what they offer us about who they are? How do we capture it, make it visible? Caitlin and I had just met, and already we were in rich conversation about ideas that matter. Caitlin offered her questions as she described the focus of the educators in the quaka room, the lens they were using to frame their days with the babies. The educators' questions delighted me. They reflect a commitment to seeing babies as people in their own right, not reduced to simple adjectives. Darling, clingy, funny, unpredictable, irresistible. The Quaka educators have positioned themselves as learners, eager to understand the offerings that children make as windows into their personhood. Today I took their questions as my own. How can I learn from one of these children about her or his or their identity? As a visitor, I don't know any of the children, but like Caitlin and her colleagues, I believe in the children's capacity to offer themselves in complex ways. And so my work is to listen to the children and learn. So off I went into the play yard with questions close at hand. How are these babies communicating their identities, and how can I honor their offerings? The play yard was in full motion, with lots of lively play and all the educators talking with children. I sat for a while and watched, not seeing an immediate entry point for myself, until I noticed Sam, on his own, both literally by himself, and with the spirit of being self-contained. I moved closer to him, drawn by that quiet independence. As he squatted at the end of the sand pit, Sam was working to realign a dump truck that was splayed out in the sand. He got the truck repositioned properly and rolled it along the pathway till it bumped against a low wall. He left the truck there and returned to the sand pit, where he set himself the task of sorting a second dump truck. When it was on its wheels, with the bucket in place, Sam rolled it along the pathway. Just as he parked it behind the first truck, another child arrived to claim the truck for her own play, 
I wondered how that would land for Sam. Did he feel invested in the trucks and in his work with them? Would he object to someone else taking a truck? Mm, He didn't bat an eye. He was not a bit fussed by the other child commandeering the truck. He'd done what he intended to do, it seemed to me, and felt complete with that. Sam picked up a playphone and headed to the climber. I followed at a bit of a distance, curious to understand more about this interesting person. How was he communicating his identity? How could I honor that? Sam was well aware of me, though we hadn't directly interacted. How could he not notice an unfamiliar woman following him around the play yard? As he scrambled up onto a platform of the climber, I sat down on another platform, and that was our moment of official introduction to each other. Sam looked straight over at me and held my gaze for a moment. Then he glanced at my phone that I'd set in my lap, looked back into my eyes, and raised his phone to his ear. I grinned, delighted by his invitation, and I lifted my phone to my ear. Neither of us said anything. We both held our phones a moment and held each other's gaze. After a bit, I lowered my phone, and Sam flicked his eyes from my phone to my face. I got the message. I lifted my phone to my ear again, and this time Sam said, Mummy! Ah, yes, it's Mummy on the phone, I said into my phone. I didn't talk to him as if I were his mum. I'm clearly not his mum, and why pretend to be? Sam spoke into his phone again, Mummy, bye-bye. And I said, bye-bye. And without thinking, I blew a kiss into the phone, which I've been doing at the end of my many FaceTime calls to my sweetheart in the United States. Sam laughed heartily, then blew a kiss of his own into his phone. And that was that. We were in the morning together now, Sam and me, not playmates, and not in a big chat together, but companions. When Sam climbed off the platform and headed to the sand pit, he held space open for me to follow him, and so I did. All sorts of play happened then. Sam experimented with dropping his phone flatly into the mud in the sand pit a bunch of times. He did some shoveling and some scooping and methodically splat the mud onto the bricks around the sand pit, each time in a different place. No words between us, not much acknowledgement that I was there or that anyone else was there, though the sand pit was full of children's and educators' activity. Sam followed the thread of his pursuits. I thought, he's got all that he needs within himself, and I wondered about that. The play continued. Sam kept scooping mud onto the bricks and then, one time, onto the rug. And Caitlin, Sam's teacher, stepped in at that juncture, offering Sam more pans with the idea that he could dump the scooped-up mud into a pan instead of onto the rug. "'Do you want more pans, Sam?' she asked. "'More!' he eagerly affirmed. And so they made a trip together to the shed to collect more pans, and Caitlin got Sam set up with them at the edge of the sand pit. But Sam wasn't particularly interested in that avenue of play, and he took his scoop and headed out. And again, I followed, intrigued by this guy. How is Sam communicating his identity, and how could I honor that? Sam headed around behind a clump of bamboo, 
and I seized that moment for another direct connection, mostly as a way of saying, yeah, I'm following you about, and you know I'm following you about, so let's acknowledge that together. Well, that, and actually, mostly because I was enjoying Sam's presence, his clear agency, his sense of himself as a thinker and a doer, and I wanted to engage with that. So I moved into the bamboo across from Sam, and we, when he looked over at me, I caught his eye and grinned. Sam laughed a big laugh and ran around the bamboo towards me. Peekaboo in the bamboo, back and forth, around and around, laughing with each other, laughing at the chase, laughing at the moments of capture when our eyes met. Our laughter was connection and also a counterbalance to Sam's inwardness through the morning. And that laughter and the bond it cemented carried us into another game when Sam ran out of the bamboo and onto the pathway and straight over to Sophia with a push cart. The game, two children, one cart, one child in the cart, one child pushing and pulling it. Sam and Sophia took turns riding inside the cart and propelling it, and the game went on and on with interesting innovations and permutations, and with two crashes that didn't dissuade Sam from carrying on. There's a whole story I could write about that game, but in the context of my listening to the ways in which Sam was communicating his identity, this is what I'll say. This was an intimate and companionable game, though there was little overt interaction between the two children. Another child, James, moseyed over a couple times to see whether he might join the game but he didn't get much uptake from Sophia or Sam, and so he took himself off good-naturedly. It seemed to me that it wasn't that Sam and Sophia didn't want to share or take turns with James, but that their game was complete with just the two of them, and that James could see that and respected it. Eventually, lunchtime arrived, and in Sam went with the Quaka crew, and in I went with my questions and stories and musings, to my own lunchtime conversation with Caitlin, Amal, and other members of the Joey Club staff. Welcome, Amal and Caitlin. I'm sure you'll agree that listening to Anne's story is like participating in a masterclass in writing. So as you listen to Anne share her story about Sam... I'm curious to hear why you think this is a story worth telling. That's a great question, Fran. Thank you for that. Um, the story is definitely worth telling for many reasons. Isn't that right, Caitlin? That's right. You know, you and I have spoken about this for a while now, why yeah. the story is so important. For me, though, I think if I really stop and think about this story, I'm drawn to it because it feels like it fits into our learning community. It fits into exactly what we've been questioning for a long time and this story about Sam it's almost like a chapter within a book that we've all been writing all this time about Sam as a learner and about this young person who's sharing his identity and exploring the world and making meaning and and it really comes down to the way that Anne entered our learning space she came in 
and she just listened. She listened to our questions. She listened to the ponderings. And I really just threw them at her when she walked in the room. I just wanted to share everything that we were questioning at that moment as researchers and as learners. And that's what really is resonated throughout the story. You can see that she's really captured our thinking as a learning community. And it really illuminates the way that how you can take a question and you can take it into a learning space and have a, almost a, something sort of philosophical that you just hold as you're listening to children and, and sort of where that will take you. Listen, and especially for this young age group, how do we capture their identity? How are they expressing their identity? That was one of the main questions. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? That's something we've been wrestling with for a long time. We know that children are always forming and expressing and, and, and learning about their own identity, and we as educators, the onus is on us to support that. But with younger children, I think that we really have to be um, very aware of, of how those moments are fleeting, aren't they? And if we're questioning how are these children communicating their identity to us, well, the onus is on us, I use the word again, to stop and to listen and to be silent and to capture that and to stop thinking that identity is communicated in these grand gestures that they can be in the first time that you meet someone. Indeed. And, and took those questions so respectfully and went outside to the playground and, and engaged with Sam on those premises. Mm -hmm. The other thing about why this story is worth telling is for us as, as educators, and it gives us a lot of gentle reminders, um, our commitment to inquiry and pursuit of knowledge and understanding. Um, we, I like to use the concept or the analogy of being a guest at children's play spaces. Um, we don't just come in into children's spaces, we wait for an invitation. Um, and invitations are not just given. You, you really, you, you earn your invitation. What have I said or done or not said? Or how did I show uh, my commitment to the child and my respect to child? To, to be the recipient of that invitation. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I love that analogy of a guest because if we think about, you know, a guest in any given situation, a guest does not abruptly enter a room. They don't change the conversation. A guest waits to be welcomed. They wait to be invited. They wait to see if they're needed or if they're wanted. And there's many moments with children, particularly young children, that you're not needed in that situation or perhaps your question isn't the question that they were pondering and then it sort of reminds us that you know if you're a guest really hold that position but like you said as well when you are invited there's a reason for that there's mm -hmm. something that you've done to be invited into that moment I think that's really shines we'll, in the story we always say it's a privilege to be in children's space um, and when you receive that invitation, what do you do you, with it? You humbly accept it, and then you go in as 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 a learner. And I think you you go in with the desire to learn about the child, to desire to learn with the child and from the child. And yeah, moving past that moment that you're looking for something, know that you're just in that moment. And if you're in that moment and you hold a genuine connection because that child has invited you in, well, then you're encouraged to pause and to muse and to experiment and hypothesize and experiment. And, and then it sort of flows on from there. But what I think Anne does beautifully is she balances that idea of being open and really being in the moment with the child, but also like the thinking that says knowing herself and knowing those questions and as a researcher as a learner she has 
that's sitting there in her mind and she's balancing the two very gently isn't she she's looking for the question that we posed identity but she's also just open to see what Sam has to offer so you go in with an open mind um, with multiple perspective um, I think the other important message or the other message that is um, remind me this story is that those special moments particularly in the young age group that it could be missed throughout the day when we're busy doing things and, and we're so busy we're always so busy particularly in the young young group that mm-hmm. you constantly um, look into to meet their needs for mm. better work mm. um, and those moments can be easily missed mm-hmm. it's sort of like a conscious thing isn't it we have to be really cognizant to slow ourselves and to really just to be present. To be present. And, you know, when I, when I look at this story, um, if you were to just look at this story from the lens of what happens in this story, you know, it may seem inconsequential, but I quite like to think about the story. And, and you know, Anne has written a book with Margie Carter, and in that book, it's called From Teaching to Thinking, they talk about what is the story about as opposed to what happens in this story. And I really like that in this story, you know, it's very personal, it's very intimate, it's an insight into the connection that Sam and Anne shed and for me it really does talk about how you know a moment so small or so so why use the word fleeting again such as meeting someone for the first time you that could go by in a blink and sometimes we don't even think about it but if we actually stop and muse that for a moment we only meet somebody once and Mm. and when we do meet them it's often sort of indescribable how we feel about them but really they are giving so much of themselves to us in that moment if we stop and really just think about that and try to capture that as Anne has done you can see how much identity Sam has offered her absolutely just meeting her yes and it's sort of very strength based isn't it because you know anybody could walk in and say I'm a stranger I don't know these children but Anne sort of turned that on her head her being a stranger is a strength this is the first time she's met Sam Mm. the first glimpse of him as a person and look how much of the identity that he's just given her in that moment because she was willing to sort of to listen. To listen and to be and there. Engage yeah. And it's such an ephemeral connection, but Anne, Anne has picked up all these things that Sam's offered But even her. if you're not a stranger, even if you're so familiar with the child in mm-hmm. the room, you can easily mo- miss those moments. Absolutely. I, I guess it really illuminate the importance of coming in into the child's space with your mind open, with your heart open, and ready to, to join attention with the child and and allow yourself to be on that journey with the child. But then we have to think, I think, you know, what are we documenting and how are we making that visible? And, you know, all we can ever do is to offer our perspective of a learning moment, a learning moment that we've been fortunate enough to be invited into. And then when we share that learning moment, are we able to bring other people into that, to take our Mm. perspective on and to maybe, you know, I, I love how Anne says in the story, I see myself in Sam. But then I started to see myself in that story because Mm -hmm. Anne brought me in and she showed me the lens that she had of Sam and then my lens was broadened. And I've changed the way that I see Sam now. The next learning story I wrote after this was actually these little moments that I picked up in the day and it was about Sam had a tennis ball and he made a game with me with the tennis ball. And then a bit later on in the morning, I just happened to catch that he had that same tennis ball with another educator, and I documented that. And then later in the day, he found the same tennis ball and connected with another educator in a different way. And I started to think about the way that he connected with Anne, and I thought, this is 
this is who he is, that mm. idea of, you know, connecting with people and, and, and bridging that sort of gap with someone and, and the games that he creates and it really changed is that you're allowed, you're allowed and presence that expands your knowledge and your learning and your perspective. Absolutely. And this is when, when I was saying earlier, it's about our commitment as educators to inquiry and, and knowledge and understanding. Mm -hmm. So through that process, your knowledge and your understanding of Sam and yourself as an educator has just exploded. Exactly. And, you know, Anne really took our questions as her own, but after reading her story, I've got more questions and how wonderful that she's come into our learning space as a co-researcher, as a co-learner, taken those questions and then prompted us to have even more questions. And it's sort of that when we think about planning cycle with children, we think about planning cycle with ourselves, almost like yeah. a research cycle, isn't it? That we never stop asking questions and we have to have those questions. And, and that, that I think we'll look at in episode two of, of that thinking lens and, and how we use the thinking lens. But it's a story that's important because it just fits so perfectly into Sam's story as a learner, but also into our story as a, as a learning community. Indeed. Well, thank you, Amal. Thank you, Caitlin, for sharing your thoughts today. This conversation has been riveting and provoking. You have suggested that recognising a story worth telling is often a shared endeavour, and you've given great insight into the richness of professional conversation and shared, inspired dialogue. Thanks again for joining us in this conversation today, and we really look forward to the next instalment. So everyone, please look out for the next offering as Anne, Amal and Caitlin revisit Sam's story using the thinking lens as a protocol for thinking and writing. Bye for now.